All right. Well, maybe you see the title there and you're like, oh man, sermon about money. Well, we are taking a break at all the campuses. Somebody thought it was funny. That's good. Um, We're taking a break at all the campuses from Romans just for this week. And so we wanted to give you one more sermon from the book of Proverbs. And we wanted to cover a topic that is plentiful in the book of Proverbs. And it is the topic of money. Again and again, when you read through the book of Proverbs, you see this is an important topic. Why? Because it's important to our lives. And so we didn't want to do a Proverbs series without getting this sermon. And so um, we're going to look at it from God's Word this morning. And money is just, it is all around us. It is something we think about. We have to. And in America, I think there's a very loud message that we hear, that we kind of absorb growing up and just observing. And it's this message, money buys happiness. And somebody first service said, no, it doesn't. I know, I know that the, the, the expression is money can't buy happiness, okay? But no one really believes that. <laughs> I mean, some people do. But a lot of people would, and I know this because of some of the things that have been said, adaptations of this motto. So I read, somebody said this, anyone who says money can't buy happiness hasn't had enough of it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I I read this. Somebody said, they say that money can't buy happiness, but I am accepting donations to test that theory. (laughs) Right? Because whether you have a lot of money or you don't have much money, there is this allure, there is this thought. Maybe money does buy happiness. How much money is enough? Well, just a little bit more, right? Make no mistake about it, money is important to us, and it's important to God. Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 6. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Well, money is consequential. How we spend it matters. And most convicting from this text, from that verse I just read, is where we spend it says something about our hearts. And perhaps this is why the Bible says more about money than faith and prayer combined. Here's a crazy statistic. I didn't believe this when I first read it. Jesus said more about money than heaven and hell combined. Does that surprise you? Jesus said more about money than heaven and hell combined. Now, having said all of that and having recognized that money is an important theme, it's very worthy of our attention this morning, there is no doubt in my mind, that in our world, money is overrated. Money is overrated. Now, before you dismiss me as someone who needs to get a clue <laughs> or more money, <laughs> just consider this. I, I, I come to that conclusion by carefully studying what God's Word says about money and, and what God's Word says about why we have money and comparing that with what our culture says about money. So when I speak this, I'm talking about in our culture today, money is overrated The book of Proverbs is immensely helpful in this regard. There's a lot of passages we could go to in the Bible that speak about money. And depending on where you read, you might come away saying, oh, God loves rich people. Or you might read another text and say, oh, oh, God loves poor people. Well, what is the truth? The book of Proverbs gives us a very well-balanced view of money. It speaks about money very positively. It says that it is actually a blessing from God, that wealth can be a blessing that God has given us. So it says that. But then it's also tempered by counter-proverbs that, that help us put money in perspective and realize it's not an end-all, be-all. 
It has its place, but there are things that are much more important than money. So I'm going to start with a few Proverbs that dethrone the almighty dollar. All right, so let's look at a couple of those. Then we'll consider how important money really is. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8, if you would. If you find somewhere near the middle of your Bible, find the book of Proverbs. We'll find the big number 8, and we're going to be looking at verse 10 in a moment. But money, according to Proverbs 8, verse 10 and 11, is less valuable than wisdom. It's less valuable than wisdom. I want you to notice verse 10 and 11 here of Proverbs 8. And this is a father speaking to his son. He says, Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So the most precious commodities in our world, you pick, whatever, diamonds, jewels, silver, gold, money, None of them are as valuable as wisdom, according to God's word. Now think about how much time you spend acquiring money. And for for many of us, it's probably more than 40 hours, right? How much time do you spend acquiring wisdom? How much time, how much thought do you give with, God, I need to acquire wisdom. Would Would you show me how to get it? Now you might say, well, I need money to survive. Wisdom doesn't fix my car, doesn't pay my mortgage, doesn't clothe my kids. And you're right to some degree because you can't go to Sam's Club and go to the checkout line and pay for your groceries with wisdom nuggets. I've never met a business that will give you a penny for your thoughts. And not even Chick-fil-A will let you pay with wisdom, okay? You can't say, well, I got some scripture here. Can I use that instead? No, I mean, the way our society operates, it's going to require moolah. That's just the way it is. Pretty much every society everywhere requires a currency, okay? But it doesn't change the fact that God's word is true. Wisdom is more valuable than money. Well, how? How is that true? Bruce Waltke said this, Money can build a house, but not a home. It can put food on a table, but not fellowship around it. It can give a woman woman fur and jewelry, but not the love she really wants. Wisdom, however gives both material well-being and spiritual life. Now, verse 18 through 21 of of chapter 8, look at that with me. And notice, this is wisdom speaking, and here's what God's Word says in verse 18. Riches and honor, this is wisdom saying, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield in choice silver I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. According to the text, along with wisdom often comes success, provision, and at times even even wealth. I kind of picture it this way, a locomotive, a train locomotive of the fear of the Lord of wisdom, if the fear of the Lord and wisdom is what drives you, what will often accompany that locomotive are the train cars of provision, blessing, wealth. Not always. We can read in Scripture that's not always the case. In our own lives, not always. But the idea that Proverbs says is as you move along in fear of the Lord and in wisdom, along with it, God often gives you the accompanying blessing. But the most valuable car that is attached, that accompanies this this locomotive, the caboose, if you will, is the last word of verse 18. 
righteousness. If you notice, not only are riches and honor and oftentimes wealth with wisdom, but notice that righteousness. Now this is important because with wisdom may come sometimes wealth and it may not, but always, always righteousness will be accompanied. Wisdom and righteousness work together. And you can't put a price tag on righteousness. Do we learn that from our series in Romans, right? To be righteous, to be, to be right before God is indispensable. So the fear of the Lord, wisdom, these are things that are far more valuable than even the riches around us. But if money is overrated today, righteousness is incredibly underrated, but not to God. Here's the second reason that money is overrated, because money is less valuable than righteousness. Yeah, wisdom and righteousness. As great as money is, it is not as valuable as righteousness. I want you to turn to chapter 11 here. So Proverbs, flip over a few pages if you would. Chapter 11. And chapter 11 has a lot to say about money, and we'll hit a number of verses here. But when we look at verse 4, it's where I want to begin We see that riches are valuable on this earth, and then that's it. So read with me verse 4, Proverbs 11. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So we're all going to stand before God one day. And when we stand before God one day, our riches or lack thereof will not make a difference one way or the other. God isn't impressed with our money. We can't bribe God. God has everything. He doesn't need it. It'd be like me trying to uh, bribe Jeff Bezos. He's the Amazon dude, in case you don't know who he is. With my family minivan. I mean, it's valuable to me, but I'm pretty sure Jeff doesn't want it, doesn't need it, and it doesn't impress him. In fact, monetary wealth is a currency that is not even viable in heaven. It's not viable when it comes to our souls or our eternal destiny. It does not apply. It'd be like if you showed up at the car dealership, okay, and, and you perused the lot, you found just the perfect car. So you go on a test drive, you love it, you're like, we're buying this car. You sit down at the desk with the salesman and you pull out a wad of paper money from the game of life. It's got a rubber band around it. It's like, poof, you put it down there, okay? The salesman's going to look at you and be like, see, see, that only works in the game of life, not in real life. (laughs) And and so it is with our greenbacks on this earth. It only applies in the game of life. It doesn't apply in the life to come. You can't use it. it. It's like an inadmissible, inapplicable, irrelevant money. And that's what verse 7 says, too. If you're still in Proverbs 11 there, look at verse 7. It says, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes, too. If there's anyone who's hoping in their status, their wealth, what they have to help them in the life to come, they're going to be sorely disappointed, the Scripture says. Our financial worth does not affect our worth before God when we stand before Him. It gives us no advantage. No advantage at all with God. But we have to admit, it does give us advantage with men, right? Having money gives us advantages in this life, on this earth. Again, it's it's, it's available for the game of life. It works here. In fact, one of the most vexing things, if you've been living for a while, is if you're trying to have integrity, you're trying to do the right thing and honor God with your money and work hard and all of that, and you look at somebody who 
cuts corners, cheats, lies, steals, and they prosper. And they start to advance. It's kind of maddening because you think to yourself, man, it seems like money has advantages no matter how you get it. A $100 bill is always worth a $100 bill. And Proverbs corroborates this. It says in numerous places that money's powerful. We read in chapter 17, it's like a magic stone, the Bible says. In chapter 18, it's a strong city. And in chapter 19, it says that money will even bring friends, quote unquote, out of the woodwork, right? Money has power. Money allows you to be influential, allows you to get things done. There is, there is a power in money. And it seems to us sometimes, if we just look at life, that dishonest gain really does profit. Same thing was true in Solomon's day, but verse 18 of this chapter says, things are not as they seem. So look at verse 18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. And I hope you're starting to see what the book of Proverbs is showing us, and that is that Yeah, money has a power about it. There is a might to it, but it's not almighty. Righteousness is actually more powerful, more valuable. I want to look at uh, verse 18 here of chapter 11. We just read that one. Consider the righteousness that is a sure reward. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but if you want a surety, if you want something that you can go to the bank with, God says it's righteousness. Again, when we stand before God, what matters is are we righteous in the name of Jesus Christ? Have we trusted in the provision of the cross? That's what is sure. Nothing else is sure. And that's why you can go through the ups and downs of life, the having plenty, having not nothing, and still be okay because you have that foundation, that sure reward. Righteousness is is sure. Verse 28 kind of says something similar of this chapter. Verse 28, glance over there. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Wealth makes a flimsy support. It does. Money was never intended by God to be our refuge, to be our security, to be our support. I actually uh, found out that some people make origami with dollar bills, okay? And um, this is not what money was intended for, but people have gotten really good at making elaborate, like, animals. And I learned how to make a chair. Here's my little chair out of a dollar bill. And it's really cute. You can't see it, okay, because we don't have, like, a camera on this or anything like that. But just trust me, there's a little chair. It's adorable. It might work for, like, a Polly Pocket or something. I don't really know. It's not going to hold any weight because actually the seat kind of like flops down, but whatever. This is my chair made out of a dollar bill. And if I had a life-size chair made out of a dollar bill or many dollar bills, I probably wouldn't sit in it. It's paper. I, I wouldn't be able to trust it. But see, that's not the intention for money anyway. Money is not meant to make creations out of, although that's kind of interesting. And whenever we trust in our money, we, we put our our rest in it, or our, it's our refuge, we're, we're not using it as God intended it to be. And we'll see in just a little bit what we are supposed to use it for. It was never meant to be your ultimate security. It was never meant to be your savior. And so relying on it is about as smart as sitting in a paper chair. That's why contentment is so important. 
I'm going to look at a verse in just a second about contentment. First, look at uh, chapter 16, verse 8 and 19. So Proverbs 16, flip over there, verse 8 and verse 19. And essentially they say the same thing. Verse 8 of chapter 16 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And verse 19, it's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. What is the Bible saying? It's saying that money isn't worth it if you sacrifice justice and humility. It's not worth it if you give up your integrity, if you give up justice and give up your humility. It is not worth it and you will regret it if not in this life, in the life to come. Chapter 30, this is a great passage. It's a prayer in chapter 30, verse 8. In fact, it's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs, which is kind of interesting. So Proverbs 30, verse 8. I'm going to start in the second part of the verse. Agur is, is praying, and he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest... I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's an interesting proverb, isn't it? Agur is afraid that he would be tempted to steal and dishonor God. So he says, God, please don't allow me to be poor. And we resonate with this prayer. Like I think a lot of us are like, God, please don't let me be poor. I can't handle it. I can't handle it, God. I need what I need. Please don't, don't allow me to be poor. And we'll pray that. But what about his second request? Are we willing to pray, God, don't make me rich. Please don't make me rich. Are we willing to pray that? Can we handle that? Can, could we handle wealth if God gave us wealth? Wealth does have a dark side. It does have challenges. It does have disadvantages. Verse 9 tells us that it can lead to a false independence from God. I say false because no one is independent from God. We all desperately rely on God for our next breath. But there is a, a subtle deceit to riches that causes us to think I, I'm okay. Maybe I don't need to pray as much. Could I handle it if God gave me wealth? And some of you are sitting there thinking, that's, mm, that's exactly why God hasn't made me rich, I guess. <laughs> I don't think I can handle it. It sure seems like we need God less when we have enough resources that we can handle whatever life throws at us. You know, leaky roof, replace it. Car starts to break down, buy a new one. Medical bills, not a problem. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, that sounds amazing. Like, to just not have to worry, to not stress. But could you handle it? Could you handle wealth because there is a temptation to think that we are okay, that we're not desperately in need of God. Our prayer life could be weakened. We tend to pray when we're desperate, right? Wealth so easily leads to idolatry too. And you might wonder, well, why, why is that? It's because money actually has a power to it. And it, it, it actually makes promises that, that God makes. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. God promises to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll handle all your needs. I'll deliver you from hardship. I will deliver you from embarrassment. 
Like, I just wish we could drive a car that didn't embarrass me, you know? We, 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 we think money could rescue us. No, only God can do that. But money makes these promises, and so we're very tempted to worship it, to make it an idol in our life. In addition to this, uh, Proverbs says in chapter 15 that sometimes with riches, with wealth, comes just trouble. Trouble that you don't have if you don't have money. You often hear famous people lament the fact they, they can't go out in public and not be bombarded, right? They're like, I just wanted to go get a slushie wearing my sweatpants. And all of a sudden now I'm in the tub tabloids, right? <laughs> and, and we're like, boo-hoo, you know? We feel so sorry for you, you famous person that can't go get a slushie. But there is a, a, a trouble that you and I don't deal with. <laughs> we can go get a slushie anytime we want and no one bothers us, okay? In reality, there is trouble. There are headaches. There are struggles that come with having more. And I've lived, you know, between, you know, not, not quite a millennial and, you know, somewhere there in the Gen X. And, and so I've, like, grown up with technology, but I didn't always have it. So I've had to adjust, right? And it's been interesting as you get a device and then you get another device. I mean, how many devices do you have to charge at night? I don't know. And if you have your kids' devices at your room, it's, like, out of control, okay? And it gets to the point where it's like, do I really need a watch that I have to charge, do I really need more problems in my, like things in my life? You know, I grew up as a, as a kid and as a teen, and I never once had anxiety that my phone battery was going to die because it was connected to the wall or it was in a booth. And so I never had that stress, or I never was like, I can't find a good Wi-Fi signal. It didn't even exist. Or if it did, the government had it, and I didn't know about it, okay? It wasn't an issue. My life was simpler, and now the more we have, the more resources, the more technology, the more... It, creates a, 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 some problems. It creates more hassle, more cars, more trouble, more insurance, all that stuff. And, and this is just the way that riches are. They bring with it their own trouble. And my main point is this. Money and possessions and wealth are not an end-all, be-all. They're not. We overemphasize them. We overrate them. And you know this if you visited a, a second or third world country, right? Some of the happiest people that I've ever met live simple lives. If you've been on a missions trip, you know what I'm talking about. And we got a brother in here right now who I know is burdened to, to provide for a person he met on a missions trip and pay for their college education while trying to pay for his kid's college education. Because what we see when we go to another country is the need is great. And we're burdened by that. And we come back here and we go, wow, actually pretty blessed. That begs the question, what does God want us to do with our money? Like, why give us what he's given us? If it's overrated, what's the whole point of all this stuff? It's not an end-all, be-all. It's a means to an end. So let's look at that. Essentially, money is a tool. Money is a powerful tool. So the dollar's not almighty, but it's a mighty effective tool. So we should learn how to use it wisely. And here's the truth. A tool is only as effective as the person using it, right? Some of you guys know that. And I've learned that the hard way, using tools improperly. Like when I was building a table and I was given a belt sander, and man, that thing could take off wood pretty fast. And I was not told that you're not supposed to go against the grain of the wood with the belt sander. So I'm doing that, and I'm making a pretty big like divot in my table. And then the, the man who's helping me comes over and goes, oh, yeah, that's probably not going to come out. I'm like, he's like, you don't go against the grain. I'm like, well, I didn't know that, you know, I just, you got to use a tool effectively or it can actually cause damage. And it's true about money. Money's a tool, 
you can actually cause damage with it. You can actually hurt yourself and you can hurt other people with it. Tools can become weapons, right? I mean, a Cutco kitchen knife is great at chopping carrots, but in the hands of a maniacal person, it can be a deadly weapon. So how do we handle money wisely? What, what are the financial principles in the book of Proverbs? Well, there are a plethora. We're just going to kind of hit them, and you can jot these down, maybe, maybe study them in more detail. I would encourage you to do this because there's a lot in the book of Proverbs about this. My goal this morning is not to harp on those as much as the why. Why do these things? But let's look at them. Wealth comes by way of diligence, Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And we had a whole sermon on work. Pastor Stephen was here. He, he talked about the ant. He talked about the sluggard, diligence. And I was over at Crown Point, and my whole main point was that Christians should be the hardest and the holiest workers of all. There's just no way to get around it. Wealth comes through work, except very rare situations. If you want to accumulate money in order to use it as a tool, you have to be wise. You have to work hard. So first, work hard. Again, you can see the sermons that we preached about that. Second, avoid get-rich-quick get rich schemes. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Notice the wording there, gathers little by little. So it's not fast accumulation, it's faithful accumulation. Not fast wealth, faithful accumulation. Shortcuts backfire even if you're fortunate enough to gain sudden wealth somehow, if you don't have wisdom and wise practices of using your money, it's going to slip through your fingers very quickly. So work hard, avoid get-rich-quick schemes, those shortcuts. Third, save. It's wise to save. This is inferred from the verse we just read, chapter 13, 11. If you, think about it. If you're gathering little by little, and in the end you've gathered wealth, the idea is that you take that little, you put it with more little and more little, and, and you save it. If you take your little and you spend it as soon as you get the little, and you take your next little and you spend it, you take your next little and you sp- you're never going to accumulate any kind of money. The idea is little by little, faithfully honoring God with your, your monies and trying to build and save. That's, that's what God wants. But there's a temptation to try to, you know, shortcut the whole thing. And if you're not saving anything, then what happens when... The unforeseen happens in your life. What do we have to do? I mean, in this culture, what we do is we use credit. And uh, Proverbs has something to say about that too. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrow, borrower is the slave of the lender. So beware of debt. You know, there's times in life where you, you may not have any other option but to go into debt, buying a house or whatever might be the case. But the idea in Proverbs is beware of it. If you can help it, don't do it. Because quite naturally, you become bound to those lenders. You become a slave of sorts. And that's just a fact of life. So Proverbs is saying, beware, avoid it wherever you can. But again, I ask you, why? Like, why are these financial principles in the, in the book of Proverbs? And tremendous merit in studying them. We do a financial peace course here at Bethel. I, I recommend you take that. I recommend you get into those good books that, that, that share ways of practically using your finances. But why? What's the point? So we have more stuff, more in the bank. Is the book of Proverbs just a manifesto on capitalism? Not at all. There are two driving motives why we use our monies wisely. Why even care about this? Why? 
Two reasons. The first is provision. Why does God give us money in the first place? Why do we go to work? Why do we get wealth to provide, first and foremost, for those that we're responsible for? So turn to chapter 27 and read verses 23 through 27 here with me. And you're going to have to translate this from the culture of, of this time to today because most of us don't have flocks or herds, okay, and, and the grass and all this stuff. But look at verse 23 of Proverbs 27, and here's what we read. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, then the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. I have four girls in my house, okay? I have to provide for, I have to care for. And, and you know, I don't know how many dependents you have living in your house. But it's not just that. It's those, if you own a business, who are under you. Even if you're a single individual, I think this is an important principle. Try to honor God with your monies. Be wise with them. Why? So you have more stuff? No. So that you can take care of your needs. You're not a burden on other people, if possible. And then you can be generous. You can be a blessing to other people. So it, it applies to us no matter how many people are under our care, and some of you have more than others. But the point is, are we providing? I mean, Jesus said, if, if you don't provide for your household, you're worse than an unbeliever. So we, we, we gather money, we save it, we use it wisely so we can provide. I, w- I want to provoke your thought here a little bit and come into the, the second, second reason here, the second reason we have this tool and I want you to, to, to consider, have you ever asked yourself, why were you born, when you were born, where you were born, at the time that you were born? So whatever year that was, I mean, whatever state you were born in, probably some are Indiana, some are Illinois, I'm Pennsylvania, you know, wherever you were born, but you were born in the United States of America, and maybe you're proud of where you were born, maybe you're not, but no matter what, I don't know if you're aware, but if you were born in America, you are wealthy by global standards. To make it into the top 1% of wealth, the top, the richest 1% globally, you need an income of about $34,000. So that means that most of us are richer than 99% of the people on this globe. Why? You ever ask yourself why? And the person who doesn't believe in God says, luck of the draw, you know, just thank God, you know, whatever. The Hindu or Buddhist says, karma, what does God say? What does God say about why you were given what you were given and I was given what I've been given? I want you to turn to chapter 11 again, coming back to chapter 11. And I think the scripture teaches us this. It's a tool for generosity. Yeah, it's a tool for provision, make sure we care for those in our life. But here's what I really want to focus on at the end of this. Generosity. Read with me verses 24 and 25 of Proverbs 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. It's kind of counterintuitive. If you read this, you think, well, it seems to me that if you were stingy and you hoard your resources, you'd have more than if you gave it away. That's 
logical, but it's only logical if this earth is a closed system, which Francis Schaeffer wrote about a lot if you've ever read any of his writings, but he talked about how the modern man more and more believes in the earth as a closed system, meaning the earth is all that there is. There's no interaction with a divine being. There's no God. There's no eternity. It's just the earth. What you see is what you get. You live, you die. That's it. Now, if that be the case, if the earth is a closed system, then this verse makes no sense at all because the more you have is the more you have. The more you keep is the more you have. The one who dies with the most toys does win. But is this really all there is? I mean, think about this. When you keep more for yourself, do you really get more? Or is it possible that in the giving away of what you have, you find joy? You find more than you had when you kept the stuff. My mind went to the uh, movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? And if you've never seen it, Christmas is coming in like, I don't know, six months, and it'll be on a hundred times, okay? So watch it. But we have George Bailey, we have Mr. Potter. Now, Mr. Potter has more money than George Bailey. He's very wealthy, and he's a miser, and he keeps it all to himself, and he's miserable. And then you have George, who struggles with this whole idea, right, of kind of giving up his wealth and his dreams, but he finds in the end that what really matters is not the accumulation of wealth, but the relationships, the love, and all of that. That, that actually, in the giving away, there, that you get more. A better example, truly the best example, of course, is Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's Jesus. Jesus, who, when, when we show generosity, here's what we're doing. We are portraying the gospel. We're, we're fleshing out and living the gospel because what is the gospel but Jesus, who was in very nature God, who, who it was not something to be grasped. He was God. And he also didn't grasp a hold of it and hold on to it and say, no, I won't give up my glory Jesus was willing to, to give up his status and his wealth and his glory in heaven to come to this earth, to be born as a man, to be the God-man, to, to be in the form of a servant, the Bible says, to live and to die on the cross. So when we are generous, we are living out the gospel that, that, is, that is encapsulated in Jesus Christ. If we accept generosity from God's hand and say, God, thank you so much for your generosity of forgiveness and and the wealth of righteousness, and then we turn and we refuse to give somebody what they need and we have. How can we do that? Because it's antithetical to the gospel to, to hold on to what I have and, and, and refuse to look around at those around me. Corey Ten Boom said this. Uh, she gave us wise advice when she said, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. <laughs> I was at a church once where we struggled to relinquish control of a nest egg that we had accumulated as a church. I was on the elder board, and we had been wise. We had done everything right, what the financial you know, advisors tell you. We had saved X amount so that if like, the apocalypse happened and church closed its doors, we would be able to survive for a certain amount of time. We did it all. We, 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 were, we were wise. But then I noticed it was near impossible for us to touch that. It was like, well, I mean... We need that. I mean, if, 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 you know, if we're living a dystopian novel and everything is, is 
just gone. Like, we need that. And I, I get the wisdom in that, but what, what was interesting was we relied so much on that security of having that nest egg. It was untouchable. And I, and I, and I wonder, do we really want to trust and put our hope and, and lean on riches which are like a paper chair? Or do we want to lean on our God who is our refuge, the ancient of days? And I'm not talking about being unwise. I'm talking about being willing to let go. Coming back to Proverbs 11 here, notice the way verse 25 is worded. It says, if you bring blessing, you will be enriched. If you water, you will yourself be watered. Who's doing the watering? Who's doing the blessing to you? I'd argue other people at times. Most certainly God. When you are seeking to be a blessing to others, God has a way of, of blessing you and caring for you. If this earth is not a closed system, that means there is a God. He sees, he knows your heart, he knows every need that you have, and he will take care of you. He will. And as a pastor, I have to tell you, I've been very blessed in this regard. From the very beginning in Bible college, I was warned not to expect wealth from the pastorate, okay? They said, if you're going into this for money, switch your classes, okay? And, you know, I had to check my greed at the door and don't think I don't struggle with it. I'm human and I struggle with it still to this day. But I, I knew from the very beginning my main goal is not to make as much money as I can make. I want to provide for my family. I want to bless other people. But it was never in my mind like I need to find a better paying job. It was always, no, my main job is to do what God wants me to do. And so because of that, I've had this, this great privilege, I have to say, of seeing God bless us through other people, God provide in ways that I really don't think would have happened if I was making bank. You know, if I was very wealthy, uh, not by the world standards, but by everyone's standards, I don't think everyone would be like, hey, can I help you with that? I mean, it is a blessing to see God provide for you, and I, I consider myself fortunate in that way. It's probably also why I've never bought a, a lottery ticket or gambled at a casino, because the, here's the way I think about it. The reason you would take a chance is because you see this sum of money that's available, right? It's like, there it is. I, I, I can get it maybe. Here's the thing. I have a father in heaven. He has everything at his fingertips. He has everything. And if he wants to give me $10 million, he could do that without the lottery. Hasn't yet. But if he wanted to, he could do that. And, and here's the thing, too. If he, if he didn't want me to have that, I don't care how many times I play it, I'm losing every single time, okay? God's sovereign. So I've never felt that motivation because he has it all. And he's going to provide it. Would I rather rely on him or these other things that are out there? I want us to look at Proverbs eleven twenty four one more time as we finish up here. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Just notice the way this verse is worded, and it hit me. Just the, the the language of the verse in English. It says this: One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers one. Just notice very clearly: giving leads to growing, withholding leads to wanting. Giving leads to growing, withholding leads to wanting. Understanding the limitations of money and the power of money, it frees us to be very generous people because we realize something that God's word teaches us, that when we give, we actually grow and we, we, we benefit in ways that you can't see. When we withhold, when we refuse to be generous, we actually are left wanting. We know there's more to life than that. 
This is what frees us to give to the Lord's work. It seems counterintuitive to give tithes and offerings. God tells us to give to his work, but it, it can be hard, you know? I'm trying to teach my kids that when they, you know, get a paycheck. It is hard. I remember having a conversation when I worked at UPS years ago, and one of the guys, I don't even know how it came up. I wasn't bragging about it. I think he said, are you one of those Christians who, like, gives 10% of your money to the church? I'm like, you know, yeah, that's, I believe God wants me to do that. He's like, you're crazy, man. You're cr- 10%? There's no way. And I, th- I think to the world, it does seem very counterintuitive, but so does this verse. If you give, you grow all the richer. Maybe not monetarily, but you grow in all the ways that matter. And if you decide to withhold, you shrivel up, and you actually are left wanting. So these, these kind of verses help me understand the place of money. It's not an end-all, be-all, but it can be used for God's glory. It can be used in ways that actually bring me joy and satisfaction. It might well mean trimming some of the budget. You know, it, it might mean a less impressive car, less recreation, maybe a slightly smaller house. I don't know. But the idea of giving is so important to this book of Proverbs. And isn't it worth it? I mean, we're going to stand before God one day. Every one of us, we're going to stand before God. And I promise you, God is not going to be looking at our portfolios. Not going to have it open like, well, let's see here. No, that's not what God's going to do. What's going to matter? And you, you might say, well, I want to leave a lot for my children and for my grandchildren. Well, a morbid thought kind of hit me when I was studying. Well, my children, your children, they're going to stand before God one day. They're going to be dead. Their children after them are going to die. And they're all, we're all going to stand before God. And there's nothing at all wrong with providing for, your, for the next generation. In fact, that's a good and godly thing, to provide an inheritance if you're able to. But ultimately, that helps them on this life and not the next. So when we stand before God, what is going to matter? Is it going to matter how wealthy we were monetarily? Or is it going to matter how wealthy we are spiritually? The spiritual inheritance that you're giving to your children. So I hope you can see from Proverbs, it gives us a very well-rounded picture of money. The dollar is not almighty, only God is, but it's powerful, it's a tool, and we got to use this thing wisely. So it kind of puts us Christians in an interesting place with money, right? And we're, we're kind of, we live in a bit of tension, which makes sense because we live between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And, and we should be at tension with our money, like, am I saving enough? Am I giving enough? I think God wants us to, to, to feel that, but all the while just saying, God, lead me, direct me, use my money. Thank you for it. Thank you for the blessing of it. So my advice is work hard, but be content. Save, but be generous. Value wisdom and righteousness more than money because it's a higher uh, commodity. Let's not look for money to do the things that only God can do. Let's not look for money to be our rescuer, to be our savior, to be an end-all, be-all. It's simply a means to an end. And brother and sister, God wants to use your money, my money, in ways that actually bring blessing and cause us to grow. If we decide to say, no, I won't do that, we'll end up losing in the end.